Support for KXSF San Francisco Community Radio is provided by Babylon Burning, San Francisco's oldest screen printer. Babylon Burning is a San Francisco legacy business offering full-service screen printing for your band or company. Located in San Francisco's Soma District at 63 Bluxom Street, Babylon Burning has served the Bay Area since 1976. Their website is babylontee.com. That's B-A-B-Y-L-O-N-T-E-E.com. You are listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Pamela Louie. And in today's episode of Fifth Wave Radio, I am thrilled to be joined by Jennifer Batewall, who is the director of a new film that will be closing the San Francisco Green Film Festival called Into the Weeds. Uh, the closing will be October 13th at 6.15. And I can tell you that this is a movie you definitely want to watch. You can also screen it if you go to... Uh, the Green, actually, I, I will read the URL at, at the end of the interview so you can get to it. But I had a chance to watch the film. And Jennifer, congratulations. Uh, I will just say that as someone who, coming from the wine industry, has been beyond concerned, absolutely horrified that anyone is allowed to still use Roundup. Uh, thank you so much for making this film. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, the film was, you know, it was a real attempt to create an historical record of what happens when an ordinary person takes on a giant multinational corporation and all of the intricacies of that. And and we really tried to um, make that journey accessible and comprehensible to to ordinary people there's a lot of science in the film but it's it it it's portrayed in a way as it was in court um that that ordinary people like me can grasp it and i think once you know the science once you know the malfeasance once you know the agency capture etc um it's a shocking story yeah. So if you could just give our listeners a summary of the film of just just generally what it, it's it's about. OK, so basically the Lee Johnson, Dwayne Lee Johnson versus Monsanto Company was the first bellwether trial against Roundup with the claim that use of Roundup uh, was a allegedly was a cause of. Mr. Johnson's cancer um, and the cancer that is most associated with Roundup use, allegedly, and I'm saying this because I'll, I'll talk about the legal ramifications of this whole project um, after, uh, contributed to their non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So uh, Lee's trial was a very important trial in the um whatever the evolution of this uh, movement was going to be to expose Roundup and the company Monsanto. Monsanto is now being bought by Bayer um, for things that came out in discovery. So are um, available to, for everybody to see in the Monsanto papers of uh, ghostwriting papers, intimidating independent scientists and journalists, um, spending millions of dollars to discredit incredibly, you know, 
organizations with incredible integrity like IARC, the International Association for Research on Cancer, etc. And um, it's it's the film is about the trial, but it also telescopes out, as all of our films do, this sort of toggling back between scale and detail. It 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 telescopes out to look at the the systemic effects of pesticide use and glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, is the world's most widely used herbicide. It is used everywhere, as you say, wine. It's used in vineyards, it's used on golf courses, it's used on beaches, it's used on rail lines, it's used on highways, it's used on forests, it's aerially sprayed on forest plantations to get rid of broadleaf species that that, that compete for the light um, and the nutrients for the pine and spruce plantations that are, are endemic, certainly in Canada and in, in other places. So, and of course it's used widely in agriculture. And so this is something that we're all grappling with. Like PFOAs, this is something that is in all of us. 80% of people have glyphosate in their urine, traces of glyphosate. We're, we're all exposed to it all the time. It's in our food. So um, the film was about trying to get that message across and get people to think about, oh, what does it mean when something that has been not properly tested is everywhere, number one? What does it mean to all the people who have been harmed by it? Um, and what is, what, what is the outcome of this trial and what impact will it have? And, and, and I think the impact so far has been enormous and yeah. will continue to ripple out. Sure, yeah, there have been others who have, you know, others who have since sued and, and been able to to win, I know that there are uh, awards have been cut. That's, I guess, another story. Uh, let me ask you, what is it that made you interested in the subject, uh, specifically the subject of of, of Roundup and uh, you know a, and the, its its impact? Because I feel like it's been something that has been really avoided by media. I feel like it has been avoided by media. Just just to give you an example, a few years ago. I was watching MSNBC, and it might have even been Rachel Maddow's show. And I don't watch TV news that much, but I just tuned in. And, you know, so MSNBC is supposed to be sort of like the more liberal, like, cable news channel, yeah. right? During a commercial, there's a commercial for Roundup. And I sent them in a letter, like, you call yourself, you have programming that speaks out against, like, environmental degradation. And, like, how can... and how can you air this commercial? And of course I never got a response, but it, it seems to me that, and I think that this is probably because, you know, Monsanto, which is, as you mentioned, is now owned by Bear, has become such a, is such a behemoth that people are, are just afraid to tangle with them, right? Well, that that's for sure, and and the the a lot of the the lawyers who were so basically this is this is something that is called mass torts. The these kind of lawsuits, right? Which is multi district litigation. There's an executive of lawyers that are put together that basically run all of these trials, and there's been thousands and thousands of them in the U.S. And the reason they do that is it's one judge, it's one team, so that you don't have you know. 30 years of trials happening. Like it's an attempt to kind of streamline 
Um, but mass torts themselves are problematic because the damages are money damages. The, the people who are the executives of these corporations don't go to jail if they're found guilty. They pay a fine. And usually that fine is not enough to cripple them or make them bankrupt and they just pivot to something else. So um, that that idea, uh, par part of me thinks that the reason that we we haven't been nailed is because we're from Canada. So we sort of fly under the radar a little bit. And it's not now that the film is starting to play in the United States, we might get more pushback. But I will say that unlike a Michael Moore polemic and you know, don't don't get me wrong. I, I love Michael Moore and I love the polemic uh, approach. But this film was meticulously researched. Every single claim made in the film was quadruple fact checked, was gone through meticulously by lawyers so that we weren't in a position where we were making a claim that wasn't backed up by evidence. So in a way, the film mirrors the trial. And, and because of that, I felt like we had the right and the duty to tell a story about this company and this product and 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 to tell it in a way that it, it, it becomes an historical record of that malfeasance and what happens when somebody goes up against it. So... Uh, that was the interest. I mean, we've been environmentalists for a long time and our films are generally, um, especially the past five, three films that we've done uh, have been much more kind of art projects that are more about um, larger systemic environmental issues, more through an art lens, more an experiential lens. This was the opposite. This was very much about, let's tell the story of this trial as well as we can, uh, because it 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 really um, it's damning for that company uh, in, in in an absolutely obvious way. That's what the evidence shows. So, why did you decide to tell you know, to talk about Roundup and Monsanto specifically through the lens of Dwayne Lee Johnson's? Uh, illness and then trial as opposed to doing it a different way? Well, because Lee's trial was the first of many. And as he points out in the film, you know, if he his had gone badly, then all of the other people who were behind him would be, um, you know, they would have much less success in telling their stories and getting justice. So, um, you know, I'll just step back a bit and say that our, like, I've been making films for almost 30 years. I've made 10 features. I've done a bunch of other projects. I'm I'm very much aware, and my background is in philosophy. And so I'm I'm very much aware of the ethical complexities of the work that I do. We travel all over the world. There's something very arrogant about thinking that you can go around the world and sort of, you know, point a camera somewhere and 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 get something that is meaningful or true. And I mean true, not in an objective sense, but in a in, in a way that is like visceral, emotional, and intellectual at the same time. And what that requires is an, an abundance of humility and also trust and relationship. So when we approached Lee and said, you know, can we tell your story? He was initially quite, you know, 
suspicious like who are you and you know what why 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 would i trust you to do this and as we built this relationship there are some very hard scenes in the film hard scenes to look at they're scenes that he wanted us to film because he wanted people to know just how hard it is for him to get up every morning and get ready to do anything like hours of prep right um uh given his condition and so uh i was deeply compelled and felt a um a responsibility and again a kind of you know if 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 you think that you're doing something right then um you're not afraid of the consequences i suppose in the same way oh so yeah i mean you you mentioned it, it was at times difficult to watch but i completely understand why uh he would want that to be part of it and why as a filmmaker you would choose because it really does bring home the consequences of, of this you know, of, of what you know having non-hodgkin's lymphoma um mm-hmm. so how I and there are a lot of shots. A lot of the film also takes place in the the courtroom. Was it easy to get access and to, to get permission to shoot in the courtroom? Okay, so that was a really interesting story because we there's this the other. So there were three trials that won, right? And and they were all in the Bay Area. So there was Lee. There was um, the Pilliads, Al, Alva and Alberti Pilliad, who were in the film. They were initially awarded a billion dollars each because the odds of a couple both getting the same kind of cancer are, are extremely rare. They used Roundup. Of course, all of those awards were slashed eventually by the court. And then Edwin Hardiman was someone who also had it, lives in the Bay Area. He was awarded $80 million. That was um, also slashed. But the fact that these three cases won and Hardiman's was a federal case uh, the Pilliads and Lee were um, state cases uh, and so the 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 result of that um, those successes created a kind of momentum uh, so that other people came forward with their stories and the I mean, I think that the when we went to try to get access to the court, and this was this thing, we, they only give access to one, the Hardiman, the Hardiman, because it's federal, they never allow cameras in the courtroom. And the judge in the Pilead case decided not to allow cameras in the courtroom. But in, in the Johnson case, they did. And we tried to get access. And then there's, a, a, there's an organization called CBN, Courtroom View Network. And when they film it, they're like a pool for all the cameras. And so they filmed it and then we licensed that footage. We were not allowed in with our own camera. And the 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 amount of footage that we had to go through and piece together, and of course there's there's rules there, like you can't ever show the jury, for example. Um, uh, sorry, that noise. You can't show the jury um, ever. So we had to tell the story of the court and then of, of the trial and then kind of move out to interviews with the lawyers, interviews with the expert witnesses, and then following the story of Lee, and then some of the other plaintiffs and people who have been harmed, who either settled or are still waiting for their day in court, um, 
And then again, telescoping out to the bigger picture of global insect collapse, for example. Um, you know, the Krefeld Entomological Society has been doing continuous research for over 30 years, um, exactly the same standardized research, and they have found a 70% decline in insect population over 30 years. Now, we all know that that is a problem, um, pollinators, etc., but 70% decline is pretty scary and and pesticides are a huge part of of that decline yeah i i heard uh, an interview uh recently with a british entomologist it might have been on fresh air uh but he was saying that if basically if all the insects were wiped out from the earth what that would do to the earth and that if human beings no longer populate the earth we would go back to a natural ecosystem within i think 100 years uh, I mean, in terms of if you think about clearly the dis compare the destructive force of human beings compared to insects, it's there's no contest there, right? And you would think that we we have a we have a you know not just a not just consciousness, uh, uh, but also scientific know-how at this point. So it, it is a little bit baffling, and I think that. This does what what we're talking about raises other issues too, and other other social issues about you know, capitalism and putting a profit over everything else. There's one, uh, let's see, was there? There's one quote in there that I saw that was that was really uh, pretty. Let me, let me find where it is. Let's see. Yeah, there's where yeah, there's one guy. It's one of the farmers, and I think he's up in Canada. He says we're using this stuff to maintain profitability, and now he has. I'm not. I'm not sure which form of cancer is uh, it is. If it's, I don't know if you if you know the guy I'm talking about. I think he's in Saskatchewan. I mean, it's sort of we're, we're that that's a bit of a spoiler alert because you don't know that until no. the end of the film. And there are these people. He says the margins are so small. And when we talk about industrial agriculture, it's a mess, but the farmers are not the, the culprits. It's a mess because of subsidies. It's a mess because of the way that our food system works. And I, you know, if you think about trying to solve industrial agriculture, I just, you know, that's mind boggling. On the other hand, you know, it's possible, right? It, and and there's regenerative farming. The Rodale Institute did a, a, a multi-year study on the the possibility of organics versus conventional agriculture. And, and it shows not only, you know, sustainability and smaller, local, regenerative, natural, all of that. Um, but we've, we've known for a long time that it's food distribution that is the problem. It's not growing enough. Um, it's distribution and it's subsidies. And if we dismantled industrial agriculture, um, there, there would be, more room for other ways but you're absolutely right that the capitalism i mean our last film was called the anthropocene um, anthropocene the human epoch and it's all about you know how humans are now the dominant force on the planet and a lot of people have said oh no it should be called capitalism because or externalizing of of all costs um other than what you know the money that we make the um the 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 idea of of 
the commons and how it can be the tragedy of the commons, you know, which is an old idea where if nobody owns it, you'll just use it and wreck it um, and then expect somebody else to take care of it. All of those things are built into capitalism. And when we think about, talk about the intersection of environmental and social justice, late stage capitalism and the, the increasing gap between rich and poor, as well as the environmental implications for people who are living in the global South, who have not contributed to the, the problems that they now face. Um, it's, it's huge. Uh, all of those things are part of it. And I, I just don't know whether, you know, it's, it's like a massive revolution that is necessary. Like, I don't know if you know, Erica Chenoweth, um, she's a Harvard professor and she did this this study that talked about the percentage of people who advocate for change that actually can make a difference. And her argument was that you only need 3.5% of the population to non-violently advocate for change in order to be successful. And she did this huge multi-year study of movements for change and interestingly found that violent revolution was not successful, not as successful as nonviolent um, protest. That was the percentage of people that she thought she calculated was necessary for real change. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh my God, if we can't get that, if we can't rustle that up, um, then you know what 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 are we worth as a species, basically? Well, as you and I were talking about earlier, as in the wine industry, I still think it's. I would be surprised if it's three point five percent of the of the vineyards in California that that don't. If it's only three, if there's more than three point five that don't spray Roundup, truthfully, uh, or and and Roundup is just one. I mean, Roundup is what we know the we know the the most about and what we what we hear about the most. But there are others too. But oh, yeah. For sure. Well, and there are other ways. I mean, but it's all about economies of scale and, and efficiency. So it's way more efficient to spray a whole forest ecosystem to get rid of the broadleaf species, the, the poplars, the aspen, et cetera, that compete with these, these plantation trees. It's essentially a monoculture. It's way easier to spray than to have people go in and pull these plants or or do whatever like there, there there are always alternatives in agriculture as well but it just becomes about efficiency and you know i mean at one point we have to question the logic of those economies of scale yeah yeah i mean i was i think that when you're i, I know the wine industry but just agriculture in this country, you know, throughout this country, and you, you know, you see these planes spraying. I mean, it's just it's confounding. But I, big agriculture in the United States, and I'm I don't know how different Canada is, but there are there are numerous problems with big agriculture in this country. It is directly, uh, basically everything that it does is in opposition to to any sort of environmental preservation and regeneration. And that, and yeah, if you say that we, I mean, when it, even if it's, we're just talking about livestock, it's, it's the same thing. 
Uh, and I, I think that it's, it's not like it's just the Republicans. It's not like it's just one party. You know, when I saw that you know, the, the Biden administration hasn't been great on it either. You know, the head of agriculture is definitely is in bed with big, big ag in this country too. So, and I think it does, what it really does come down to is money and having the access, you know, who has Monsanto has the money to have access to big politicians. I, I was watching, my partner wanted to watch the army, the documentary house of hammer about the, you know, army hammer and all that thing. And at first I was like, Oh God. But I started watching, I was like, and I kind of got sucked into it. And it's the same sort of thing where there is, you know, I, there were all these things about Armand Hammer that I didn't know. I mean, about how quite literally he was bribing presidents of other countries and, and was involved in, in Watergate and ended up getting a pardon by George H.W. Bush, which maybe I didn't know, but I forgot about, but it, I mean, that, that is just this, this systemic problem with capitalism and that those who are able to influence policy are those who have access or have access because they have the, the means to put people in power who are going to do their bidding. And well, it, it, but it's a little bit more complicated than that, because I think that the, the, the problem of agency capture is a huge problem and and what we see is a kind of revolving door between and this is in the drug industry it's in the chemical industry right a revolving door between the regulators that are supposed to be protecting people from the effects of these chemical companies and the chemical companies themselves so they're they'll go back and forth you know mm -hmm. the executives when they get to you know they're getting to retirement age from the epa they go and work for a corporation. And as Robin Greenwald says in the film, she's brilliant, this lawyer. She said, that's who they talk to every single day. They become facilitators for the chemical companies rather than people who are putting them to task and regulating them. And it, it, it is this, um, it's a model that is wrong. And, and I think that the, the Monsanto papers really showed um, agency capture as well as the corporate malfeasance of using money to influence. Like basically the year that IARC came out in 2015 with their ruling that, that glyphosate was a probable human carcinogen. And IARC is totally independent. It's an arm of the World Health Organization. You can't be part of the their monograph program study, unless you have no vested interest, no skin in the game, all of the research that they use and look at is publicly available. So every single person who wants to look at their results can follow the research and find out where they get them, as opposed to the corporate research where they say that, oh, it's proprietary, so we can't show, we've done these studies, but we can't tell you what they are. I mean, what's that? So basically, um, their budget for corporate affairs, for PR, um, was $17 million for one year. And they used a lot of that money to try to discredit IARC. And they even started to do that before IARC has, had made its decision. And, and in, in, in the meantime, Lee Johnson is calling Monsanto to ask them about whether there is a possibility that that Roundup or Ranger Pro, which is the sort of um, the the industrial sort of uh, version of Roundup, could 
have contributed to his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Nobody ever called him back. He called twice. Um, and that was exactly when that ruling had come down. So you think about that and it's it's kind of mind boggling and I don't quite know what the answer is um, to pull these regulatory agencies out of the pockets of the corporations. Number one, they don't have the money to do their own studies. So they rely on the corporate studies. Um, and, you know, if you rely on the corporate studies, that, that's already a conflict of interest. So, sorry, I'm getting into literally into the weeds with this, but it just really was shocking to me that 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 was the level of of agency capture that we were looking at, especially in the case of Monsanto and Roundup. Yeah, well, it's it's also I, I think it's it's shocking. But as you said, it isn't just it's not just in agriculture. I mean, it's in the, it's in the, the drug companies too. Like, you know, all of the, the opioid crisis, there are people who work for the FDA who then went and worked for the Sackler family. Did, you see, for, so. did you see the Van Golden film? It's really good. Like, I, not okay. yet. Not you yet. know, I, I saw it at, um, at TIFF and uh, it's, it's, it's excellent. I mean, it's, it's really great. And, and, well, and Patrick Graden Keefe's book, Empire of Pain, is also incredible in terms of documenting that whole story. And again, you, you see that. You see agency capture. You see that influence um, uh, in, in, with the FDA. And it's exactly the same in Canada. The PMRA, the Pesticide Management Regulatory Agency, um, uh, is, which is an arm of Health Canada, uh, they basically just use the EPA studies. They just follow the EPA. So so we have it in Canada. Right now, we're at an inflection point for glyphosate. And I'll just bring up that there are two petitions. We have a petition circulating in Canada um, to ban glyphosate outright. And the mayor of Montreal, Valerie Laplante, is the, the most, in, in, in all of Canada, uh, she has the most stringent pesticide regulations. You can't spray glyphosate in, on the island of Montreal. You can't even buy pesticides. So that's incredible, number one. So we're trying to kind of find out how far can we go with this. The EWG, the Environmental Working Group, has two petitions that are circulating right now about getting corporations like um, uh, General Mills, et cetera, to stop using um, products that are sprayed with glyphosate. That's happening. And the European Union is in the process of, of determining whether they are going to renew their license for glyphosate. And they, they were supposed to decide by December. They're pushing that now to um, uh, next July. Uh, that's a huge moment. And the, the EPA has been forced to review their uh, approval of glyphosate, both for carcinogenicity and for um, effects to biodiversity. And they're in the process of doing that right now. Uh, and that was something that was ordered by the Biden administration, which is really interesting. And they're now reevaluating their approval. And let's see what comes of that. So it's a it's an interesting moment in Canada where they're trying to raise the acceptable levels of glyphosate in in residue and food that the EU and the United States. So we we have a chance with this film to 
push the envelope a bit. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think that's true. Uh, and you say you're Canada, the EU, the United States. But I'm also thinking now about like Africa and you know countries that are that have been more that are now economically developing, and like India, for instance, and how much is used there, which I I honestly don't know. And American companies have never had much of an issue with pushing off, you know, the do, doing their dirty work in other countries that especially you know those that you know where the populations where the majority of the populations are not white uh and yeah. yeah just bringing it back to your film a bit i know that there you know dwayne lee johnson is the main subject of the film but there are others though and there are people who have you know believe they've they've gotten sick because of roundup who are white there's one man who even said he believes in capitalism and you know but he has an issue with this uh so I think that there, my assumption is there are probably people, there's a, di a diverse group of people, you know, who you interviewed for this. That said, it, at least when it comes to agriculture and big agriculture, and granted Roundup is used, Roundup is used by people just on their lawns, right? You know, in suburbs, in white suburbs. But uh, with Roundup being used so much in agriculture and where so much agricultural workers in the United States at this point are not white. You know, for for I'd say you know at least in California, they're mostly Mexican and Central American, you know, immigrants or migrant workers, and I wonder if you you have any thoughts on the degree to which the Monsanto such bear has there's even the notion of where there's a greater dispensability of these people's health and their their lives because of white supremacy. So I would say there's a couple of things there. Like the we did a film called Payback with based on Margaret Atwood's Massey lectures. And um she we spent time with the Coalition of Immokalee Workers in Florida, mostly tomato pickers, and and looked at the um the 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 systemic injustice that is uh, that exists, you know, two hours from the 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 rich. Palm Beach mansions and the, you know, the, the, where do people go for spring break? Like that kind of the Fort Lauderdale thing, like literally this is inland from there. And it is like, um, uh, the conditions are absolutely terrible. So yes, that exists. And in fact, when I talked to one of the leaders of the CIW about glyphosate, he said, well, you're right. Pesticides are terrible. They spray them. They, the workers go back out to the fields. They don't give them enough time to settle or whatever. But we're also worried about things like, you know, women getting sexually assaulted by the 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 whatever the 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 pit bosses. We're we're worried about the fact that the tomato pickers are walking behind diesel trucks that are belching diesel that they're breathing in. They have a multitude of problems. And we just did a panel. Um, with uh, uh and we had somebody from the the uh, justice for migrant workers group who talked about the fact that that again that these things are completely intertwined that social and environmental justice are completely intertwined regarding india um india thailand and mexico have all tried to ban glyphosate and they've had incredible pushback and lobbies from the united states um, especially when Monsanto was still based in the United States. And, and 
it, you have to understand that 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 for them to do something like that, and there's a lot of countries that have 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 eliminated glyphosate since the IARC ruling, um, which has been you know a huge uh, source of annoyance to to Monsanto now Bayer, and Bayer has agreed to remove glyphosate as the active ingredient of the residential formula by 2023. We haven't seen it yet. They said they're going to do it. They're going to put something in that's another, you know, uh, active ingredient that is accepted. And that might even just be something like vinegar, but it will still be available for industrial and agricultural use. And that, of course, is the biggest use um, that uh, that that is the use that is what, what we really need to tackle. So I agree with you about um, how it, I, I don't just think it's the health. I think it definitely is the health of that the, the, the people are expendable in this scheme. But I also think that there is a um, a kind of cognitive dissonance that exists in the executives of these corporations who can do that work, go home, go to a ball game, have dinner with their family, go back to work without thinking that that what they're doing is evil and wrong. And 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 that to me is is very frightening. Um, and that is about corporate, that is about corporate structure. It's about multinational corporations and what they're allowed to get away with. And it is about the way that the executives of these corporations are shielded from direct consequences of their act. Right. Yeah. Well, I I wonder, you know, you would think like, how can these people sleep at night? You, know, you see like what's happened to someone like Lee Johnson, you know, for instance, I mean, just watching certain segments of the film again, I, I don't want to, don't want to give it away, but I do wonder if they have just convinced themselves that their product is safe or if that they realize the product isn't safe, but that they've convinced themselves that there's somehow a greater good or at the end of the day is really there's just too much money to be made and that that's more important than anything else. I mean, well, I, I would I would argue that it's the last thing that is the most yeah. Um, uh, likely. And when I was going through the papers in the beginning, trying to figure them out, trying to like, look, I kept seeing this, this term, we have to protect our FTO or FTO. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And I'd look up, it means freedom to operate. It means the ability to sell unrestricted, to not be restricted, to only be, um, to only change when they're caught. And if we look at the way chemicals are regulated, not just in the United States and Canada, but it really is about use it until somebody comes to you and says that there's a problem. Basically, that, that is kind of the model. Rather than test it rigorously, make sure there are no systemic effects to human health and the health of the planet and ecosystems, et cetera, and then you can use it. We don't do it that way. We do it the other way, and that's wrong. Yeah. Well, on that note, on that, uh, on that note, well, and then I want to talk about the, the film itself and so and how it's it's been received so far. Uh, so it premiered at Hot Docs. Yep, yeah. it was. So we were we were sort of waiting for 
our our films are played at a number of festivals and we really wanted to have an in-person screening and covid was you know ruined everything for many years for two over two years so hot docs was in person and we opened the festival with that film which was wonderful i mean there we we've played our films at hot docs for years and so it was really great we had i think like 11 or 12 people from the film come um the lawyers lee came with his wife and children um we had two lawyers there we had the farmers from saskatchewan like it was a really we had ray owl a, a traditional ecological ecological knowledge elder who has been fighting against the aerial spraying um on unceded territory by the way in in northern ontario um and uh it was it was a real moment like it was it was very powerful and now we're sort of trickling out around the world and figuring out um the best way to use the film as a tool for political change like as, as to try to influence legislation and because we are at this inflection point uh for these regulatory reviews we have a chance to do more than um you know just enrage people <laughs> who see it and 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 that is the that's the goal Right, because the the people, let's say, who are going to come to the San Francisco Green Film Festival is already that's a self selecting group of people. So you may you may get some people who are, especially since it's a, it's a closing night film and it's streaming, there are people who are going to be like, "Wow, this is something I really want to get involved in in some way." But it's also a question of how how do you get involved in it? Uh, and I think that's so. so two things: we yeah. have a website. It's called intotheweedsimpact.com. dot com. If you're we're 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 doing different pages for different um, countries. We have a page for Canada where you can sign the petition. We have articles. We have the studies. We have links um, to our partner organizations, which are you know every ENGO you can think of: Friends of the Earth, um, Safe Food Matters, Environmental Defense, Environmental Working Group, um, etc. Eco Justice, and they. So there are the petitions from EWG will be up on our website. Anybody can go to that website, sign them, advocate, sign up to be, you know, that we're trying to do that for sure. And when we do our screening in Washington, as well as this San Francisco screening, we're going to have a panel where, um, you know, we have somebody from Peer, which is the organization that kind of supports the whistleblowers from organizations like the EPA, Timothy Whitehouse, he's gonna be on our panel and talk about agency capture. So for ordinary people, um, they need obviously to sign petitions, advocate with local their local representatives and politicians to say, we don't want this in our neighborhoods. I mean, if the, if the, if the mayor of Montreal can ban pesticide use and even buying pesticides and and people there agree with it we we can all do that everybody can do that uh, so let let's hope that the movement kind of expands yeah so so it's you said that it's showing in in europe now as well and is it in different festivals too or yeah so there'll be there's a festival in czechoslovakia which is a great festival um in Jalava, which is just outside of Prague. 
and then the Popoli Environmental Film Festival and and uh, those two are happening. We're doing a screening for the EU probably in in February. Wow. We're screening at the Boston um, American Physicians Conference, which has like 10,000 doctors come. And that is all about effects to human health. There's going to be a, a, a screening there. There's already a talk with one of our partners that is happening there. Um, so, you know, slowly, slowly. Yeah. Do you know, uh, are there any of the streaming services that seem interested in picking it up? Well, it's interesting because when you do that, and and believe me, there's a there's a real efficiency. <laughs> Talk about economies of scale. There's an efficiency to selling to a streamer because then everybody can see it. Um, it's available everywhere. the The problem with that is that there's um, different territories have their own way of positioning these films, and in the past, we've always done territory by territory, theatrical, and then it goes to broadcast or on demand or whatever. And we've done that kind of piecemeal model um, where you can localize or contextualize the way that the film is presented. Um, that's that's sort of better, um, but we're, we're open to the streamers because it means that we won't, you know, every time we open in a new territory, I'm worried that I'm going to get slapped with a lawsuit. So it hasn't happened yet, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's somewhat anxiety producing. Well, I, I, as I can't, to, I haven't been in that situation, but I can understand because it is very much of a David versus Goliath situation. I, I was thinking about that when I was watching the film yesterday, it's like, okay, even though there are a lot of Davids, you know, you have you know, numerous people in the film uh, and there are how many others, you know, thousands of other people, I'm sure who are in the, you know, are in a similar position you know, with regard to Roundup at least. Uh, but when you are an independent filmmaker and you have the potential to be going up against a huge multinational corporation that has an endless legal budget. You know, that which is why I getting back to the question I asked you earlier uh, about why you decided to take this on. It was definitely it was brave to do this. You have to you have, you you should ask my husband Nick that question because we had just finished Anthropocene, which was this five year project and it was a museum exhibition and an educational program and it was a, and a film. And it, the exhibition is still traveling. In fact, it's going to Buenos Aires in, in December. And it was, you know, and we were with Anthropocene at the Sundance Film Festival when this film, the idea of the film, or where somebody told me that they were working on these trials. And I was like, oh, who's documenting that? And they said, nobody. And I just immediately, <laughs> Nick said, you're crazy. And yet, He's he's totally stood behind this. And listen, everything that we everything that we allege in the film is backed up by evidence. So I, I'm very confident with it and I'm not um scared. Yeah. Oh, that's clear. It seems like it's ex extremely well researched. I found it very uh interesting when the uh 
person who was talking about the algorithms and how like when you're combing through millions of documents, like how, how you can't you can't look at every single word in every single document, you know, how they have this algorithm to decide which documents are the most relevant and trustworthy. Um, and I found that really fascinating, too. It's all it's all a, like it used to be teams of lawyers, junior lawyers with bankers boxes sitting in an airplane hangar going through thousands of documents. Now, I mean, he told me that the, the beginning of the 10 million documents. Right. So it's impossible. And when you think about how and then he says that the, the, the algorithms get smarter and smarter, the AI gets smarter and smarter as the research as as more that feeds into it and that that is fascinating like that that is really interesting and obviously a, a, a whole game changer in in the way that these mass torts trials are uh, are conducted but at the same time they're limited um they're limited because they're money damages only um it doesn't get to the rot of the core the core that is rotten it just punishes them by making them pay. And it, it's not enough. There has to be more at stake for the corporations. Going back to and the opioids, yeah, they ended up having to pay a lot of money. But it didn't, the, corp, the company's still functioning. No one's going to jail. You know, yeah. Even though they're, you know, their malice has caused how many deaths and i've seen signs about how many people die in san francisco every year you know, from opioid overdoses well you know the what nanda golden did was absolutely incredible and when you think about how that 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 wealth is legitimized through naming wings at the metropolitan and the tate modern and stuff and you think okay well, let's attack that. And and I think that that is very powerful too. There, there are creative ways, I think, of holding the corporation to account until we can change the way we regulate them so that they really are held accountable in, in, in a true way. And people like Lee, Lee is incredibly brave to be so open about all this like he's not a as he says he's a, he's a guy who like tries to lay low he doesn't want to be in the spotlight he he and 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 he has done it not just for himself but all of this uh and and uh, i'm just really grateful that he trusted us with that story yeah well we just have a couple of minutes left but uh, I think it, it was, I think that also, I mean, it, speaking of bravery, just the, he, just leaving himself, just how much he shares with, with you and with the audiences that will see this film. It, it's really, I think that I feel a lot of gratitude to him for, for doing that, uh, because. Totally. Yeah. 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 I know. I hope that. It was his idea. It's what he, he wanted. And. Believe me, we had, you know, broadcasters and stuff say, do you really have to leave that in there? And it's like, yeah, we do. We mm -hmm. are. Uh, there's a reason for it. So yeah. anyway, well, let's. Well, it's it's a really, it's a very, very impactful film uh, for everyone who's listening. 
you can, uh, if you go to the uh, website for the Greenfield Festival, it's if you go to green sfgreenfest2022.eventive.org, you can get tickets. You can find out how to stream it. Again, it will be playing at the Roxy Theater. Uh, it is the closing film on October Thursday, October 13th at 6.15. And it's definitely well well worth going and checking it out. I, I'm a fan of trying to see movies in in a theater as opposed to at home, not only because I love film, but also there are less distractions. And this is a movie where you definitely, it's not easy to get distracted, but uh, it's just worthy of everyone's attention. And as he said, if we can get 3.5% of the population really charged up about this and willing to go and fight for it, non-violently, of course, you know, maybe we can we can make a change. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for making this film and for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks so much. It was it was great. Um, and uh, well, if I come to San Francisco, maybe I'll see you there. That would be fantastic. And for those of you listening, this has been uh, Fifth Wave Radio at KXSF FM. We'll be right back. Support for KXSF comes from The Strand Salon, located at 409 Locust Street in San Francisco's Laurel Heights neighborhood. The Strand is a full-service hair salon specializing in Aveda color and products staffed by independent stylists who believe that independent radio is key to keeping San Francisco culture alive and thriving. Visit their website at thestrandsalon.com. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio. Community Music Center is a San Francisco vital hub for music education and performance anchored in the city's Mission District and the Outer Richmond. Founded in 1921, CMC is a nonprofit organization providing high-quality music instruction to anyone, regardless of financial means, and inspiring students to reach their fullest potential. For information on classes, summer camps, or how you can help CMC enrich scholarships for in-need students, go to sfcmc.org. 